You are listening to the World Building Podcast. I'm Joshua Mickey. When I'm in the Rockies and I'm like doing it, I am exhausted and somehow at peace and yet terrified and the sun's going down and there's things that can kill me and it's just everything at once that's good and it feels like that a little. Listening to the single, Fast Twitch, the ear is transported to a pristine landscape, the crisp early dawn of the valleys in the Canadian Rockies. A vast space filled with sunlit melting icicles, moss waking up to the morning warmth, and the awareness of walking through a predator corridor. A journey through the eyes of the animals in the valley. At least, that was the first time I listened to it. What I love about his work is the music's ability to tell a story with every listen. It often leads to a different direction. It's minimalist, interpretive world building. I'm talking with the artist and musician Jonathan Kochuk on what goes into crafting these audio landscapes, the journey getting there, and the solar punk genre. However, before diving into this episode, it is my pleasure to share with you the song that inspired this conversation, Fast Twitch, by Jonathan Kochuk. Thanks for coming on, Jonathan. We met each other through a mutual friend in Toronto. And funny enough, though, we haven't really been able to like collaborate with each other. We seem to be running along the same themes, uh, a, a lot of the same, I guess, like practices and ideas. Let's let's hear a little bit about your, I guess, comeuppance. <laughs> comeuppance. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
No, I think that's right. I think we both uh, have come from this like concept first sort of frame of mind, and and it seems that both both of us only do what we do technically as as almost like a, a necessity of realizing whatever concept, and and if that concept needed you know, paint as the final output, then we would learn how to paint. So I think that's where the world building interest for both of us comes, is, is that we're, we're cons concerned with worlds first. And then it just so happens that we work in the mediums we do because those best facilitate our worlds. Maybe I'm being presumptuous on, on your end, but at least that's the way it is for me. So I'm a composer and sound artist, I guess also lightly a, a, a light artist as well. And I think for me, it kind of all started way back in the day. The story I always tell was I was supposed to buy a bass for whatever band I was in in high school. And, and the guy in front of me got the one that I wanted. So I, I bought like a synthesizer that came with all this recording software. And I mean, like this really horrible early version of like, you know, 2007, whatever. And it just sort of like opened up, I think, kind of that world building vibe where I could go into the forest behind my house and, and collect artifacts really to, to create this world rather than music being like a purely abstract thing and the sound source divorced from its origin. I, I could actually go and record stuff outdoors and, and collage it and, and mix it with, with musical stuff. So that that's really the beginning of like how it began and how my intense love of, of ecology and biology somehow was able to to marry into the family when it came to music so after that i went to school for a little bit for music i did an internship in iceland for recording i went to vancouver for school for a year that was classical i went to the uk that was a more like recording and pop things and then i lived in scandinavia for a long time so I, i've sort of been gallivanting between cities and countries and even sort of disciplines you know I've, I was always doing my thing but there were there was like strange and, and rare and beautiful fruit to bring back from whatever far off land I, I studied jazz even though I don't make jazz and I studied classical music even though I, I really don't do concert music proper and I, I studied all this stuff because there was I guess it's sort of a almost like a game design mentality, right? Like it, there's no, there was no school to do the thing that I wanted to do to, to do these like kind of audio world building things. There was only bits and pieces that would allow me to like make that stuff. So that that's and sort of the come up story, I suppose. How young were you when you were like, I think this is kind of what I want to be doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was pretty young. I, I wasn't like a, studying Suzuki method when I was four that's for sure I was like <laughs> fumbling through guitar lessons for like two years in elementary school and quit you know so it was really only through like falling in love with I mean I was so into music always all like all kinds of music and that's you know still my job but um wanting to participate in I guess being fascinated by like super opaque stuff, which is something I guess we can talk about too. When something seems impossible to make and I have no idea how it's done, it just like makes me want to do it. And whether that's, you know, early in the day, it was like, how how the hell do you even make electronic music? I got to learn or 
And for me, I was like really into punk and metal and I still am, you know, it's still a huge part of my life is, is how visceral that music is. And it's still very like secretive almost or very hard to, to figure out, but how to do like harsh vocals properly is really like an technically challenging, almost like technically challenging pagan art. There's, there's, there's ways of doing it, but no <laughs> pedagogy and like, it, it, you're using either your ven, you know, your vestibular folds, or sorry, I'm getting that wrong. You're using your retinoidal cartilage, which is not what we phonate with normally. So you're using this, like, you know, for all intents and purposes, second set of vocal folds that you, that no one ever uses. It's like super magical. And so when I was in high school, I was like, fuck, I got to learn how to do that. I need to. Uh, start taking voice and then so I started taking singing lessons and I started singing more and I started getting into music seriously and writing. My dad's a researcher so it was always, I always came at it from more like of a hypothesis and experiment thing. A little bit of scientific method. Yeah and I think that's still the appeal is, is it's a it's a tool for discovery and for like getting to know the world better I, I think mm. for me. Yeah, I've definitely found that when approaching an idea or I guess an intention with that kind of open-mindedness, I mean, I've definitely, maybe you've done it as well, but there's definitely times where you get like a very crystal clear idea in your head and you're like, now I need to make this. And in the process of the making, you're like, I, I don't I don't like this. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look exactly what my brain told me it was supposed to look like. Coming at it from more like, ooh, I think I've got an idea. I don't know what it even will look like. Maybe I can try this, this, and this. And if it looks good and it feels right, maybe I can take another step and see what that looks like and see if there's more to add or less to add. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like much more curious. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's just more fun, isn't it? I mean, it's mm -hmm. like almost, I, I think in, when art has a concept behind it, there's there's such a an impetus to be like serious about it. but. God, it's just like way more fun and and like i mean what the what's the point if you're you're not having at least some form of enjoyment whether that's like a stern enjoyment or a lighthearted one can we can we talk a little bit about the time that we met in toronto there was an album that you were showcasing i guess it, it had been like pretty much wrapped up and you're already you're already thinking about what the next project was going to be do you remember what that school was or that, I guess, like reconstituted school into like public space that they, they repurposed in Toronto? Do you remember what that place was called? Oh, yeah. It was Arts Hub. It was the Arts Hub space on, uh, it was close to like. Like Shaw? It was really close to Trinity Bellwoods. But yeah, it was an old, it was the old school, the old elementary school. I think the new elementary school is in the same courtyard and and this organization called arts hub turned it into a bunch of art spaces and there was this weird theater for world music um yeah whatever. the guys there were really really great and we needed just like a tiny little space to do this album showcase i mean when i when i perform music it's essentially music and light as one and it's hard to find a space that's both intimate and and kitted out for that you know yeah and so these guys had all the gack and like they had all this I, I think they were just like they, they had such a love for for their space and and that's the space they had so they wanted to make it right and so yeah we did we did our little 
show and I, I brought in like a subwoofer that was as tall as I was and, and people heard it from across Trinity Bellwoods, I'm told, and saw the flashing was, lights and it, yeah. I'm glad you brought that piece of tech with you because the type of music, which I'm hoping the audience will go look into once you get headphones on or a decent, you know, sound system, you play a lot in almost like invisible sounds that get amplified in the space that you're listening in. It's it's deep and it plays with like, I think a frequency range that is in some places almost inaudible if you don't have the right tech like kit to listen to, right? Like a good pair of headphones mm -hmm. will pick it up. But I mean, like I've definitely showed your work <laughs> to people on like a laptop and they're like, yeah, okay. So it's like really like tinny and like high in the pitch. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's, it's the opposite. It's like very rich and deep. And there's like a, there's like a, a world that he is playing with in there that I, I'm like, okay, get out of here. You don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I wanted to, so I wanted to ask, in that because that particular album at least that was my introduction to your work and i'm really glad that that was the the album that really got into because as you had talked before there's an interest in like what the vocal cord can do and then also with your your blending as you'd mentioned the you've got a little bit of jazz like not jazz but i can see how your craft of learning jazz and classical music and how those structures and how to technically execute those things really like bring themselves up when you're listening to that particular album. And I'd love to hear more about what you were thinking in your head, what maybe what the initial idea was. And as you were building through it, as you were working through it, did that change, you know, like stuff like that. I was, I'm really fascinated with that particular album. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny. I wrote, so I'm, I always get my age wrong. I'm 27 now. I wrote that record I must have finished it when I was like, Jesus, 22. Mm -hmm. um, and then it got released, I, what is it, 2018, 2019? So there's a huge gap in when it got released and when it was finished. And it's sort of that kind of, that, that old adage, you have your whole life to make your first record. And I think for me, it was finally this like, when I started it, I, I was finally like, oh, I've landed on, on, who I am as, as an artist. And I'm not experimenting with that anymore. I'm not in my high school bands. I'm not like writing pieces just to see like who, you know, I'm not doing as much introspection. I know that I'll evolve, but as far as in this moment, I think I've, I've hit who I am. And, and that was just having like a deep love of, of ecological sound and people <laughs> who we are as people in the places that I care about most, which for me, my life revolves around natural spaces in, in the north. I'm from the Rockies, as are you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this record, you know, was conceptualized when I was living in Iceland and inspired by the composers that I was making coffee for when I was an intern, more so in mentality rather than what they actually sounded like. And the record was itself played back and re-recorded which I guess we'll probably talk about at some point, but in, you know, near uh, Jostalen Glacier Park in Norway. So it really is like a love letter to the, the, the really human emotions that you feel when you're out, out in those environments. And I think that vocabulary of, of 
jazz stuff and classical stuff and it really helped me pin down those feelings because I think when you talk about making music and making it in nature there's this implied peacefulness and that is a part of it certainly but anyone who's spent any time in the bush knows that one of the most hair-raising violent places you can ever be you know is at at dusk in a predator corridor in like Kananaskis and there there's a huge range of I mean you're just evol I mean this is a little bit of like a natural fallacy thing but like you're just sort of like programmed to have all emotions emotional cylinders firing or available to you in those places and and to make music that interacts with that is there's just like a lot of vocab that needs to happen I I suppose yeah so for you I guess you had mentioned like e ecological I guess like design is really just pulling from the, the sounds that nature's giving you and is that how you're processing a lot of those sounds into that album yeah the the process for that record and then to a greater extent the record that I'm finishing right now was to have field recordings be a, a large part of the music but I think even more so than that to take the music itself and play those finished compositions back over speakers into the forest and let it bounce around and echo and use the forest as a reverb chamber and then re-record it because all I mean all work but music especially exists in a space uh, whether that's like cold and digital or whether that's Abbey Road or 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 your living room or your bedroom you know you can't get away from music existing in a place so you might as well choose and for me the music was about these spaces so to not to just like look from behind the glass and write about it seemed weird and, and voyeuristic I wanted to to get in there and like actually you know make it from from the tools of the space and have the space have a dialogue rather than just like talking at it and I think all work is kind of like that you know you like it's going to exist in a world so part of the reason why you would ever want to world build is well you might as well design that world because it's going to exist in one whether you've designed it or not and isn't it better to be intentional about that as you're building this out when do the visuals start kicking in or are they kind of i guess one in the same in a way yeah they they happen near the end but in a way they are just they're always there they're they're, they're like the smell that the music gives off in a way audio reactivity is is such an such a thing that I love and and so the visuals are always reacting to the music or in the case of when I'm a collaborator sometimes the music is directly tied to the visuals and that's not film scoring which is another part of my life that's truly like the brightness of this thing controls the volume of this thing and if it's flickering it's flickering in lockstep kind of deal so mm -hmm. the visuals exist and there's not it's almost like you set them up and then you let them grow and, and you don't have to massage them too terribly. Uh, I think a lot of the, the mentality around this stuff for me is it's like cooking or, or, or that, you know, I, Jiro Dreams of Sushi was such a, such a wonderful movie for me because the guy, he's not adding a ton of complex ingredients. He's, you know, there's like three ingredients in each piece of sushi, but he is obsessive about the quality of those ingredients. And I think to, 
for me, music and and lighting is the same way. You know, you just make sure that you've sourced like really excellent material, and then you just let it do its thing, and you don't muddy the waters too much. So it all and kind of exists. And this one in particular, though, you used breath. It was a forefront <laughs> as like the instrument. Funny enough, because I'm I'm getting into like meditation now, so I'm all like focusing on the breath, and the visuals only seem to grow and they're super minimalist which I, I i think was what made that particular experience very powerful if if you've and i'll probably link in the uh the description below there's a youtube video there's two of them actually where there's the absence of space and the wholeness of space and there's a it's a, a square it's just a simple square shape you know in the in the center and i think a sphere shape as well and just a gradient of color that swaps between the two spaces of negative and positive and it's done in a way that is choreographed nicely with the music and when you're in that space coming back to that particular performance I think that like you hypnotize the audience people just kind of like stop doing what they were doing and you know like everyone had time to you know socialize and like you know have a couple drinks and it was interesting to see how quickly everyone settled in to what you were trying to communicate and get those good feeling vibes going on and it lend itself to what was it his name was owen i forget his last name the touch designer oh, yeah, Owen that Kirby. you worked with. Yeah, Owen Kirby. Yeah, he's an interesting character who is, like, I guess, like a visual artist. He was the the counterpart to your, to your, <clears throat> excuse me, your audio experience. Yeah, yeah. Owen is uh, Owen's the man. He's deeply underappreciated, I think, and and he should be like batting away work all the time. He's <laughs> he's a fantastic. Well, he he's. A musician. I don't think he'd say that anymore. But he, you know, he he builds synthesizers. He's a he's a touch designer guru. He he's also like a, a fanatical isopod breeder. So he breeds isopods, which are like those little pill bugs that you like wood lice, basically. He's just like a very awesome, interesting guy. And we really found what I mean. Like originally, we, we thought we had like nothing in common, and then we really found that deep down kind of cared about the same stuff uh, and we're like felt like we were visual optimists in this like austere like 80s berlin inspired entire field you know so we, we were trying to like work with with light as a as a positive thing and i think a lot of for that show what we wanted to do was i, I don't think either of us loved the idea of essentially essentially building a, a glorified screensaver that was projected. We we <laughs> felt no reason to have visuals that were pre-canned. Yeah, or pre-canned, or even just like what's the word? Like represented. Like you could look at them and they would be shapes. The, the idea was that projection was just going to be another light source. You know, the screen behind us was going to be something that we could bounce light off of to give context to the room that existed, rather than uh, pull somebody into the world that was on the screen. During this performance, it's you and uh, another, it wasn't necessarily Owen, I forget. You. It seems like every time I've seen your performance, there's a different person on the other side. It's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's like a, a table with two, I guess, like iPads. And, you know, you're, you're facing each other on the table. And as the performance plays, that is part of the composition of the experience. Yeah, we... Yeah, sometimes that for that case, it was Dylan Balazaro, a wonderful composer. Uh, sometimes it's Noel Fanayan, a super old friend of mine, and and uh, goes by the name Hundred Million Thousand for his 
for his work as a musician. Yeah, it's, I mean, I just like hate wires and, and, and like mixers and stuff. They, they're visually cluttered and it's, it's so opaque what you're doing on them anyway that I thought like, okay, well, if nobody's mm -hmm. gonna understand what I'm doing, I might as well have like a clean surface so that the visuals and the light and the sound can speak more instead of people trying to figure out which wire goes where. iPads, no, no wires on stage, no computer on stage. I mean, under the hood, there's some really uh, difficult stuff going on, but the iPads themselves are just controlling an offstage rig. And so, yeah, just like wireless, just two little screens. We're on a table that I, it's always hard to find like a nice looking table that isn't just like a picnic like table. A, yeah, like a fold out table. Yeah. Yeah, because it's part of it, you know, and we're sort of in profile to the audience looking at each other and interacting and, and sort of just working on the iPads is, is kind of the vibe. And we try, try to get out of the way as much as possible, but still provide a human silhouette by which you can contextualize like the size of things, which is an important thing for nature photography. So I thought maybe it should be an important thing live. And this particular, this album and the one that followed, you got the attention, or I should say rather, leading to this current album, you you were going to the Banff Media Center? Yeah, I've... I want to talk a little bit about that. The, sorry, the yeah, Banff please, Media please. Center, for some people who don't know, is a magical, magical place in Canada, in Banff. You go up on a mountain and you are provided with a, a resident, like a little room, little re, you know, residence room. It has the most comfortable bed you will ever sleep on, <laughs> you know, with the backdrop of the Canadian Rockies, untouched, pristine Canadian Rockies, uh, just looking out your window. They have a Red Seal chef who cooks you three square meals. And this place, it's a retreat, basically, for all things creative. It's not just musicians, it's artists, it's designers, writers, dancers, I mean, electronic gadget people like I, I if you if you've got a creative idea and a means to execute it and you need a space to kind of explore it this place I, I mean I haven't been anywhere else in the world that's just perfect for this the best part about that is in your day you, you kind of focus on what your craft is but always at night everyone comes out of their like little holes and meets each other and the cross-pollination of different ideas personalities it's like this I, I can't speak enough good magical things about this place <laughs> oh yeah i mean it feels like there's a catch it's so but there isn't <laughs> no it's it's artists jurassic park is what the <laughs> complex feels like it really is it's so good yeah i mean i think my first my first experience at the bamp center was like truly the best time of my life i mean you it's like you it's like they take you up to the top of the the metaphorical mountain of your life and they're like here's what how good it can feel to make music and to be part of a community and to all feed into it and to have the resources you need and also we're gonna let you use our multi-gazillion dollar studio and you're gonna have a little hut in the forest where you can make music and and now that you know what that feels like uh we'll take you back down to the bottom and you're gonna have to walk up yourself you know as for the rest of your life it's it's beautiful it's beautiful and i've, I've developed quite a uh, a relationship with the place and I, while you I, were there I'm like a hangers-on basically yeah i mean we all I, I i wish i could just stay there for a bit 
you know, I don't know if I'd ever teach there, but I mean, that's definitely a way to get in. If you want, you can always teach. Yeah, I, I have once worked there briefly as, as this thing called an artistic associate, which is like your halfway staff, halfway an artist. And it was, yeah, it was wonderful. Oh, and I should mention cool. to the international listeners, whoever they may be, uh, in Canada, we have an interesting, weird grant, I guess, uh, bursary system. Uh, a lot of our initiatives uh, in the creative space are funded through the government. This particular place is also subsidized significantly by the government, which is why they have the best equipment for the task at hand and the space that like <laughs> fills in an artist's Maslow's needs so well because the government supports it. Whereas I, I mean, like my American friends, when I talk to them about this place and the Americans that come visit the, uh, the space are kind of blown away that that is even a thing. <laughs> yeah. There's nowhere else. I mean, I've, done artist residencies and they're usually wonderful sort of like commune style projects where somebody has a studio that they lend out and they have like a spare room and like guest house or whatever but the Banff Center is like an, it is truly a giant institution and they basically their model too outside of government funding is they they run these massive conferences there's also like a whole science wing of the Banff Center and like for math uh, specifically and so they'll have like these huge conferences because they have the facilities for that. And those conferences uh, like pay for the art stuff. And they're, they're cool with that. They, they've, <laughs> they've not flipped over into some uh, darker, like, well, if we got rid of the art, we'd make more money. Like it's fundamental to the appeal of the place. Really cool. Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about oh, yeah. why you were there. <laughs> yeah. I could stand the art of the BAMP center all day. So we, but the, I was there to, to what I thought was finished and it turned out to be a beginning. My second record, which takes this concept of playing music outdoors and, and just like amps it up. I'm doing it in Dolby Atmos, which is a surround sound format, more or less. So surround sound is essentially like you have your mono, which is a stereo, uh, which is a speaker in front of you. You have stereo, which is two speakers or headphones. That's what everybody knows and loves. You have surround sound, which is all around you. But as soon as you start adding height, speakers above you, that's surround sound. So surround sound is funny because it seems like this unnecessary geek thing, but it is more accurate to how we hear. And 3D sound is even more accurate to the way that we hear. And it's sort of like shooting in 8K, right? Like when you squeeze surround sound down into stereo, in, in my opinion, the results are sometimes even better than if you just worked in stereo the whole time. So I wanted to shoot, so to speak, in this really high fidelity thing and capture what it really felt like to be in these places. And the only place where I could take 12 microphones, 15 microphones and seven speakers out into the middle of nowhere and without human noise pollution, play back music in surround sound and re-record it once it bounces around the forest in 3D was by going to the BAMP Center as, as my like base camp and hiking up the North Face, so to speak, into Kananaskis mm -hmm. and, and sometimes using battery power and sometimes using like a local cabin or, or whatever and, and re-recording this stuff. So that's why I was there was to take these compositions, which were really breath based and almost entirely vocal and throw them into the forest in, in 3D.
And I, I think the CBC had run an article. One of the producers had actually had flown out to Bayhaf just to hear this. Because it, is it, it it's, it's in the recording, but he explicitly said, there's no, like, I went out to the forest and I heard something that I've never heard before. And sadly, there's no way for you to hear what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that when the record comes out, it it feels a little bit like that feeling. But yeah, of course, it's it is sort of this like uh, vanishing thing. And yeah, they it, came out and we we talked about it. and It was really fun. Yeah, that I'm I'm excited to hear it, and I think that I'm gonna segue a little bit because now that you're Sorry. you're still, are, do you feel like you wait, do you feel like you've got the audio side component of this album pretty locked down, or is there still a lot more iteration into its creation? Yeah, it's it's basically myself and one of my closest collaborators, Connery Ballantyne. We. The, the process of the record was like five years or more of writing and recording and like terabytes of material. I think I figured out that from when I started making music to my first album was actually less time than the first to the second of writing. So it's a huge amount of stuff. And we just rearranged it into the 45, 50 minute long record. So now that I know what it is and these songs are more or less done. I'm just in a phase now where I'm figuring out art and light that goes with it and uh, proofreading it and just replacing temporary stuff with its its final counterparts. So it's functionally, the, the tunes are done and the the, the sequence of, of how those happen is is pretty much done. So it's exciting, it's it's close for sure. Can we, can we talk a little bit about your process in the consideration of the the presentation the experience that people are going to see beyond just the record like because i imagine i know you're a performer so this is going to be seen as a, a piece that people can go to right eventually <laughs> COVID is yeah hugely <laughs> <Usually> important <laughs> i think yeah. it's but it's frustrating i think owen was the first that alerted me to i work in film and it's really hard to work in film as a composer when, or I guess it's harder for the director to talk about composition when they know what they want, but they don't know necessarily the language of music or they know just enough that they get um, lost in translation. And they're trying to, to um, like excise this thing out of them. They, they know what they want, but they, there's no way they can really put it into words or instructions. And your job is to try to like translate that it often comes down to yeah. like there's a scratch track of already existing sounds it's kind of like a audio mood board i think most directors do that because they can't be like hey and then they just whip out like a guitar or a keyboard and be like i was like but i was thinking like that maybe or like dun, yeah dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know what i'm talking about <laughs> oh god or even worse they they are musicians and like they use terms that in one context mean a different thing and so yeah it's it's tough it's really tough for them and i feel for them and so i i'm kind of that way when it comes to the visual experience of of doing doing these records and collaborating with people like owen so uh, yeah that's like i feel like it'll almost be as much work as the record to figure out how it gets presented the, the design the packaging the 
the little visual tidbits that come with it, the live show. I think this live show is going to be much more split into, it's almost like a last record was a live installation kind of, and this is just going to be pure installations and, and few and far between live shows, but the live shows that exist are many, many people on stage and very produced and, and kind of these like big one-off things. So there's lots of, yeah, I guess there's like lots of side dishes that have to be uh, prepped. Mm. Well, often when you and I are talking offline, we do talk a lot about the advent of like real time and performance, specifically like using real time technology to be able to go into that. We recorded this on yeah. May 13th. I think it's going to be a day that will be remembered as the announcement for the new Unreal 5 engine. The work that I've seen you make, it really does lend itself to that technology. And every time you get really into the audio technology uh, that they're using, and I'm vice versa, like very interested in how uh, approachable the like visual side is going to be. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a correct assumption. I, my friend and I were thinking about starting like a very small uh, game company that puts out mostly like interactive installations. And he, he he just texted me with that link. He's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do it now. I mean, it's very exciting. It's it's super exciting. If not for a final product, it's very exciting for just like the process to to take an installation idea you know, you know and do like an architectural mock-up kind of thing in unreal and just look at how the light's going to play and say okay we can build it in real life now or to to gamify the process of cinematography with things like cinetracer which i know we've talked about it's yeah i i think it's incredibly exciting in the way that they that unreal treats audio specifically verse Unity, or at least natively treats audio with Steam Audio being incorporated in it. It's, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm really excited for what weird art forms are going to come out of this game engine that are not games. <laughs> yeah, likewise. That's, I mean, my, my interest in Unreal comes from the idea of creating those like digital installations in a digital space. I, I guess it just transcends like architectural space. You can you can go do something interactive with people now in like a virtual world or even in the AR world that you just can't do in like the real world without a lot of money, right? Have you by any chance do you ever see the the childish Gambino AR experience? Have you ever played around with that yet? No, I was I was just before this interview watching a little bit about his I think it was a 2019 performance where instead of doing it in touch designer or whatever, they did it in Unreal because it was it was like a dome projection show. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So the that experience, you he released an app and it, on your phone, and I highly recommend you check it out. It is so far the coolest AR experience to date by far. It like, wow. definitely sets the bar. It's a beautiful audio-visual experience without revealing too much. You're able to like walk into a physical different part of your room, which is a different space in the experience. You've got your headphones on and with your phone and it's a cave and you can kind of like look at glyphs and like icons and they come to life and they start dancing around you. The song or the experience being designed in a way that escalates as the experience is being, I guess, like witnessed by the by the player, or the user. 
Anyways, so it's something worth checking out. And the other thing they do that is really cool is it's totally multiplayer. So if someone with you in your room, in your real like living room space, like, you know, your parents or something, they can also have it on their app. They sync in real time and you can share the same experience, which has always been a problem I've had with like VR so far is a lot of them are like a one person experience. And, and even if it's a virtual, even if you do bring virtual people, they're like, virtual avatars right they aren't real people they're just kind of there they're ghosts in your like virtual experience but with this case which i think they nailed really well is you're able to create the world and it, there's someone there's a living breathing human kind of sharing the experience with you which is really you know i think he touches on what uh concert what's the appeal of a concert it's not just seeing your artist live i mean that's the big pull but it's also very much about the crowd it's about the the, you know, the, the place and the people that are around you. You, you you're, there's a shared experience that hopefully is like something that everyone like, you know, you, you can bond with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the, I think interactivity is such, is like a tool and it gets used all the time. And, and I, I've had chats with, with friends about this and I'm curious to know what you think, but for me growing up with, yeah, like, punk music and metal and like extreme kind of uh genres of stuff and and film i love just like getting strapped to a chair and and having it like hit me super hard and i'm not a participant i'm i'm like having it done to me kind of deal witness um, me <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like being like yeah the the art sub or whatever but the I, and I wonder if that's me. I wonder if it's a valid critique of like, okay, interactivity needs to suit the the narrative or suit the world. It can't just be like an implied prerequisite for like any experience. It has to actually make sense. Or there's a part of me that's like, damn, like my brother loves it and he's a little younger than me. Is this a generational thing where he grew up more with games? and stuff and interactivity is like the default for him where it as it isn't for me i wonder if it's generational i'm definitely a hardcore gamer storytelling and gaming i think is super challenging to do there was a concert where millions of people were on board it was in Fortnite, and like 12 million people showed up for the concert and it was in the game world and it was happening but the game was still there like you could still wander around you know like still explore the space I love the idea of storytelling in which you, the user, the player, explore on your own terms. You, you get to interact with the story at your own pace it, and however you want. And even if you want to break it, you know, like there's tinkerers, there's people that always go into a game just to see if they can break it, which is also an enjoyable experience. At the end of the day, you having something of a, you know, a myth that you built on your own terms, I think that's what's really appealing about like digital interactive game experiences versus I think film, which is very much a point of view and the challenge of filmmaking or like linear storytelling is you're showing someone that story you want to be told, right? How the camera can only be looking at a certain angle at a certain time. It's looking at shapes through a very specific lens in a box there's nothing else beyond what that box is. There's no other world beyond that, right? It seems very fixed other than what your imagination might give you. You're limited to 
what the director's telling you the story is, right? I think those are like two different ways of approaching it. Yeah, definitely. I think the, yeah, maybe it all just comes down to the medium having to make sense for the world, right? There, I was talking about I, this opera, <laughs> this like modern opera, and I was gonna go to this thing and, and check it out. And my friend was like, I don't know, like, why is it an opera? It was about Everest and, and that, I think it was the 90s that, that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and my friend was just like, why is it an opera? Like, why are they singing? And I was like, I don't know, because it's, it's an opera. <laughs> She's like, yeah, but why? You know, I went to an opera that was about like the lead character had neurological damage in a way that like she, the only way that she could speak and use that language center or whatever was to, was through music or singing. And so it made sense that like the art form was an opera. Mm. And it, re- I think it really fucked me up because I was like, oh, okay, yeah. There's implied, it can't just be an opera to be an opera. And, and perhaps it shouldn't be a game just to be a game. Like, I wouldn't want to watch The Last Dance as a game where I can, like, <laughs> I don't know, walk around Scotty Pippen or whatever, you know. But there are things that deserve to be interactive to tell the story the best way that it can be told, I yeah. suppose. When you mentioned the opera, I, I remember the first time I went to go see a Cirque du Soleil and how that very much was like a stage experience, but they went right into the the audience. The actors, the performers went in there. Like the audience was themselves an element of the performance. But you're right. It is it is the very much like context to what the medium is. You have an interesting little, I guess, would you say hobby or just a curiosity? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've I've become really interested in in solar punk, which started out as kind of a joke, and is now like a very serious joke. <laughs> but <laughs> solar punk is it's part of like that X punk thing. X being a variable where you have like steampunk, and then you had C punk, which was like a cool little musical scene for a while, and. It's basically like insert vibe and then add punk to it and then make like a whole deviant art subgenre of it. <laughs> and it's like generally they're all like super silly and and pure fantasy usually and that's kind of the the beauty of them is that they aren't they're not made to be taken super super seriously except cyberpunk and its I guess predecessors took off you know we had Blade Runner and all these things that were characterized by uh, high technology in low society or whatever is the definition and uh, cyberpunk has sort of become this like mainstream conversation happening all the time around like showing the dystopian futures and warning us of of what can happen if everything goes wrong which was maybe compelling Uh, a while ago but i think we're just like saturated with that and we're like yeah we fully understand what like a dystopic future looks like in 2016 i feel like everyone just we are living in one right now yeah remember how funny it was when people were like whoa 2016 was the apocalypse and then (laughs) it was the beginning for sure (laughs) and yeah it's just like it's just so silly to me to be reiterating that stuff even though i like absolutely loved the the newest Blade Runner is so good for like lighting nerds. Um, oh, I know. And so there's like with every internet thing, there's like a, a counter reaction and, and solar punk is sort of this 
reaction to cyberpunk that the whole thesis is sort of like what if we made silly deviant art and wrote like pulp fiction and did all the the cyberpunk things but instead of a warning against making all the wrong decisions what if it was a target by which we could you know aim towards of a future where we made all the right decisions which I, i'm we have enough ideas of what to aim away from but so little material of what to aim towards and it's so much of it is like absolutely not grounded in any sort of like design or science that could happen but it's you know and and increasingly there's like much more serious stuff but i just love that there's like this little young maturing section of the internet that is really trying to theorize in like the most whimsical way what not only a better future look like, looks like but a future where we make all the right decisions now and I, i'm just like rooting for it i think it's so cool can you give me like a specific maybe example of maybe a story or an aesthetic or like a design style that might like fit within it I yeah mean, it's funny I've, ne I've never heard about it until you started talking about it and i'm like I'm oh I, like because to me when i was a kid the closest thing we had to like utopian sci-fi was like star trek I think it's so sad that Star Trek, and I was never a Trekkie, but I think it's so sad that it's cyberpunk now, and like it's like gritty and dark. And it's like that yeah. was not, that wasn't no. Star Trek's thing. Yeah, I I would say like you like go on these like solar punk forums, and there's you know like it's nothing that you wouldn't expect. It's like ripping off, sort of like turn of the century French like golden age illustration stuff. And, you know, lots of like skyscrapers covered in, in green shit and like exactly kind of what you'd think. But it's sort of funny to view life and work uh, through the lens of like, is this solar punk? I, a friend of mine like jokingly made a poster that says that's, uh, <laughs> says that's not very solar punk of you, my man. Kind of a cool way, like, you know, am I making music that reflects a more positive ecological relationship musically or with sound. I, I'm like the Canadian rep for this thing called Quiet Parks, which is sort of an ecological organization that aims to not necessarily reduce noise pollution, but, but designate zones of pure quiet for ecological health, which is surprisingly important for a lot of other species that aren't as visiocentric as we are. Just thinking about like, when I do a thing, is it fitting in with this like solar punk future or am I buying into the cyberpunk reality now? It's sort of like a lighthearted way of going about it. And I think for me, the the now Pulitzer Prize winning Overstory by Richard Powers, this novel that everybody is reading or either loves or hates that I loved is like the hardest core solar punk shit in the world, even though it's not you know, maybe Richard Powers isn't even aware of this like very weird sub internet <laughs> thing. Uh, so I think it's kind of like out there in the ether a little bit. Oh, I forget his name. There was an Italian architect who was the guy who invented the concept of the arcology. He's got this beautiful book. It's huge. Like when I mean a coffee table book, I mean, it's like the only book you'll be able to fit on your coffee table. It's this massive cool. tome that you can like it opens up and it reveals these like hyper detailed drawings of what 
this utopia world where all, humanity just keeps itself to the arcology. You know, like everything you need, everything that's designed is in one building and everyone lives in it. And the rest of nature is left untouched so that we don't screw everything up. Uh, I think you yeah. sent this to me once. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, the description. It's a shame libraries are closed right now because that for sure is on is in like every major library in every city. It's it's like the, a beautiful, beautiful book. I mean, um, it's like not dissimilar. I think architects and people who like talk about design as like a sociological thing are are on this. I mean. Buckminster Fuller was like the the OG solar punk, as was Frank Lloyd Wright in like maybe a more Kanye West version of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, it was very. I think there's like a lot of. It's a distillation of like a, a very 20th century concept in a lot of ways. When I look at your work, it's visually dark, but it's not dark. When I, when people use that term, like, oh man, that's like some that's like pretty dark. I don't know style or something like that. You can use somber colors and still not and still be lighthearted or and still evocative right i think that's kind of like the power of the darkness a little bit because the counter to that which we're in right now is this like vaporwave thing where everything is like hyper colorful like you know to a point of almost gaudiness and it's supposed to emulate like happiness and optimism but to me i i see it as like very much the opposite it, like it's just commercialism that's that it's not maybe because it's the trending thing right now and i'm sure like uh, a decade ago the darkness was like hot hot shit so everyone you know it was also commercialized yeah. it's but, very tc music in a way to to yeah like make everything so it, it is sort of Blade Runner in the scene where there's all like the the ad that like the AR oh, ads yeah. that are everywhere. And I fucking love PC music, obviously. That's like every <laughs> every musician is has a, an opinion about them. Just to bring it back to metal a little bit, there I really love bands like Liturgy and Deaf Heaven and to some extent like Altar of Plagues and these bands that I guess it started with Liturgy, where they saw Norwegian black metal and how visceral it was, but they thought it was goofy and like pessimistic and violent. And they basically just wore white t-shirts on stage and took what was visceral about those dark things and tried to use it for good rather than, than darkness and tried to make like blindingly visceral positive music. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tim Hecker is sort of on this shit too, where he, in a way, uh, like his website is sunblind.net and there's still like a blinding, yeah, a blinding thing about it, but it's it's from from the light rather than like the crushing whatever. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, it's almost akin to uh, peaking on like MDMA at a concert and they just wanted to distill their entire performance around that very specific moment. <laughs> so everything's just so overwhelming and you're like, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there's not a small amount of that going on. <laughs> That's how I feel like um, uh, 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 with the uh, the Bliss Signal guys. They're definitely like in that Dude, yeah. very over the top, like bombastic, you know, like until until you get it, you're like, this is just noise. It's just so loud. And then you're like, it's actually pretty, pretty happy. I think a little bit, you know, it's, oh, uh, it's not too happy, right? It's fucking ecstatic. It's like uh, it's like a religious thing with the. I mean, those guys are definitely 
heavily inspired by like the first liturgy ep i don't know if i've ever sent it to you but if you listen to like everquest 2 off of that ep it is very like lays the groundwork for bliss signal i mean bliss signal i'm you, there you go yeah uh, it does what it says on the tin yeah i i love that stuff where you just like i am as affected as i would be in a horror movie but like with some sort of transcendental feeling mm-hmm. i mean that's why i that's make music for me now. like when i'm in the rockies and i'm like doing it i am exhausted and somehow at peace and yet terrified and the sun's going down and there's things that can kill me and it's just everything at once that's good and it feels like that a little just just being alive yeah getting a little bit of the full spectrum of humanity in the wilderness <laughs> all at once yeah yeah well, that's great, man. Now I have a lot of homework to do on solar punk. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll get to that. To that architect's actually bugging me quite a bit. His work is phenomenal. I was looking at here. Let me do this. As I, as I do, I would recommend anyone to check out The Overstory by Richard Powers. That's like that, that book for me defined last year. It really, it really threw me for a turn. I got it. I got it. it. Yeah. Pa- Paolo Soleri. Soleri. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant. Gotta check out his work. Oh, okay. I'm glad I got that game. before the end of this. Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much, man. That was that was this was fun. This is a great little chit chat about how you how you build worlds and the worlds that you are interested in building. Thanks, man. It was fun to talk about this stuff. as I was saying to you before the thing, like I'm usually speaking in such musical terms. But again, it's sort of like music is a thing that ensues from from trying to like find or build a world. So it's cool to talk about the the headwaters a bit. Cool. Well, cheers. Cheers, cheers. One last treat before we go. This is an excerpt from Sun and Moon by Jonathan Kochuk. <laughs> <laughs>